earlier this week, I reached out to a man named Rodney Griffin. He is a songwriter, actually, from right here in Kentucky. And if you know any of the music that he has written, you will know for sure that the Lord's hand of anointing is upon him. Um, and I reached out to him earlier in the week, and I said, um, the song that you wrote several years ago called He Washed My Feet, it goes right along uh, with the scripture that I'm using for my sermon on Sunday. And I was wondering, would it be okay with you if I sang that song as a part of the sermon? And he re graciously responded and said, absolutely, it will be fine. Um, so I'm going to sing this right now as the beginning of the sermon. And as I sing the first verse and the chorus, I want you to imagine that it's Judas that's actually singing this. And then, after that, that, it's going to be us that will actually be saying those words. But this is a beautiful song that's simply called, He Washed My Feet. The moment our eyes met I knew this was the night that I would betray him the precious Lamb of God no other disciple was aware of my then Jesus rose from the table with something in his hand. His holy eyes pierced through me, revealing all my sin. I knew his wrath was and that this would be the end. But he bowed, and he washed my feet, knowing that I was the cause. And he could have scolded, he whispered peace when he bowed and he washed my feet. Now Judas betray him but he's no worse than I the moment that I gave in to Satan's compromise ungrateful that Jesus 
and that when I fell, his holy eyes pierced through me, revealing all my sin. I knew his wrath was coming. And that this would be the end. But he bowed and he washed my feet. Knowing that I was the cause of This morning as we come to pray, I'm going to be praying the words of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. Um, so if you would, if you just bow your head and just hear these words of God just pour over you this morning as you prepare your heart to receive the word of God. Would you pray with me? For this reason. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May the Lord do a mighty work, Father, as you pour forth this word to my brother through him to us, God, that we would receive it, that our eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would grow in our love and desire and devotion of you. Father, today, may all glory be to Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen.
There is so very much that could be said today. So very much that could be preached today. As I was praying about what the Lord would have me to share with you today, the words of that song that I just sang were just vividly on my mind. And so the title of this morning's message is simply, He Washed My Feet. The photo that I have on the screen right now is a photo that uh, my friends Doug and Casey Bratcher gave to me. In 2011, they led a mission trip to Niger, Africa. My oldest son, Eli, was a member of that mission team. And until I saw the pictures from that particular trip, until I heard the stories, I really had no idea about the significance of washing feet in in a climate like that. And honestly, until I went to Zimbabwe several years later and my eyes saw it for myself, I still had trouble comprehending what it must have been like in biblical times when people generally wore sandals. When I went to Zimbabwe, that the terrain there, the soil is so different than it is here. And in general, what's not covered gets dirty. Dust is everywhere. Washing feet was a nasty, nasty job. Today, we are going to be looking at a text and we are going to see a degree of love that our earthly minds have trouble comprehending. Today, we often tell people these three words, I love you. But I wonder, when we say that, When we say those three little words, do we actually mean it? Or are we just saying words? Is it just three words that we're saying? In Romans 5.8, we plainly see how much God loves us. That verse says, but God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even with reading that verse, our earthly minds still have problems grasping that amount of love. Now today we're going to look at a passage and it will be obvious that once again Jesus demonstrated his love at a a time where he knew the truth. At a time where he could have scolded or he could have reprimanded. Yet he chose to wash the feet of his betrayer. Why? Why would he do that? Because he loved him. Why would he do that? Because he loves me. Because he loves you. We're going to be mostly in John this morning. I'm going to be beginning in John chapter 13. We're going to look at the first Five verses initially. And in these five verses, we see that Jesus models for us what love truly looks like. Look at verse number one. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Another way of saying this last phrase of this verse would be He loved them very, 
very well to the very end of his life. And that's what he did. He loved very, very well, always. Now keep in mind, at this point, Jesus was aware of what was going on. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he would be betrayed, yet he loved. And he loved very, very well. How easy might it have been for him to scold? How easy might it have been for him to retaliate? Yet he loved. Yet he loved. In verse 2 we see, Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Now I want us to see from this particular verse that the devil is always at work. Always at work. Can you imagine what it might have been like for Judas to come to this gathering with the other disciples? You think he might have been nervous? Folks, we've got to realize that the devil is always at work. Now, if you take our current situation that we're in right now, the the COVID-19 pandemic, without question, the Lord's at work in this. Without question, the Lord is at work. Churches everywhere are streaming their services. There are people right now that are watching sermon videos. They are watching worship services. They are hearing the Word of God in both songs and being proclaimed from the pulpit that they probably would not have heard if they had walked into a sanctuary. But yet they're sitting down with their families and listening to worship services. Without a question, God's at work, and I'm absolutely convinced that once this is all over, once the coronavirus pandemic is behind us, we are going to be able to look at that and tell that it is another Genesis 50-20 moment, that God has worked it for His good and for His glory. But with that in mind, never discount Satan. Never discount our enemy. He is always at work. Never, ever let your guard down. Never, ever take your spiritual armor off. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into His hands, that He had come from God, and that He was going back to God. So you might be wondering, why didn't Jesus just exposed Judas for what he was. The the traitor, the betrayer. Why did he not just to call it what it was and expose him and been done with it? It's because Jesus knew whose he was. Jesus knew whose that he was. And he knew that he was going back to God. I wonder this morning, do you personally know whose that you are? Do you know where you're going? In verses 4 and 5, we see that Jesus gets up from the supper table. He lays aside his outer clothing, takes a towel, and tied it around himself. 
Next, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel that was tied around him. Now, I think that what happened here shocked them all. Keep in mind, these were the men that had been with him. They had walked with Jesus. They had seen miracles that he had performed. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him open blinded eyes and cause people to see again. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him feed a multitude of people with very, very little food and have much food left over. They knew who he was. They knew what he was capable of. And now they see this man that they had seen perform those miracles. And he is preparing to wash their feet. So what's up with that? He's setting the extreme example of what love looks like. He is showing us what love looks like. He is showing us what humility looks like. He is showing us what compassion looks like as He prepares to wash those nasty, filthy, dirty feet. He even washed the feet of His betrayer, Judas. What an example. When someone is out to get you, do you wash their feet? Or do you seek to get even? Jesus is showing us what love truly looks like. And then in the next section of verses, verses 6 through 11, we see that Jesus begins to explain to them what love really is. I want to focus on one verse out of this particular passage, John 13, 9. It's where I want to start. And at its point, again, the disciples are shocked. That Jesus is going to do this. And so Peter, our friend Peter, the disciple who often probably talks before he thinks about it, he spoke up and says, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. Never will you wash my feet. And I think he said that out of shock, out of humility, Out of compassion, he was probably thinking, I'm not worthy of this man washing my feet. But he said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And as I have been preparing for this message today, when I hear that phrase, I will never, it it takes me back several years to the early 90s. Um, I used to follow contemporary Christian music a lot, still do. But in the early 90s, there was a contemporary Christian singer that I absolutely loved everything he did. Everything he did. I could could have told you every song at that point that he had ever recorded. I I kept up with him. And on a particular day in the early 90s, I had turned on the news. And it was a scandal all over it involving this man. While he was singing contemporary Christian music, He was actually having an affair with one of his backup singers. And it it just infuriated me when when I saw that news. I was so upset. I felt like I had been betrayed. I felt like Christians everywhere that had listened to his music 
had been betrayed. In that very day, just within an hour or so of me finding that out, my pastor at the time walked in my office for some other reason. And he could tell something was wrong with me. And he said, Todd, what's going on? What's wrong with you today? And so I proceeded to tell him. And then I made this statement. I will never do anything like that. And he quickly told me, he said, oh, Todd, be careful. Be careful. Anytime that you say, I will never. He said, in in my ministry, most of the time, when someone is so bold to say, I will never do something, they usually end up doing it. Now, thank God I have never had an affair on my wife, and I never planned to. But I have been very, very cautious of when I said those three words since that day in the early 90s. And you know, that man, that pastor, he has gone on to be with the Lord. He's been with him several times. But during my ministry, I've observed the exact same thing. Most of the time, when people say, I will never, they end up doing that. And when we look at Simon Peter, he has just told the Lord, you will never do this. And look what he says in verse 9, after the dialogue continues. Lord, if you're going to do this, don't just stop with my feet. Wash my hands and my head also. Now, I think it's interesting when we put this in context. Just a verse or two before this, uh, he, is, he is exhibiting great humility. He's got over that by now. Instead of ex- exhibiting humility... He's now giving Jesus commands. Jesus, don't stop at my feet. If you're going to do this, let's do it right. Do my hands and my head also. And you know, I wonder how many times in our, in our lives do we do that exact same thing? How many times do we give Jesus a command? I'll do what you want me to, Jesus, if you'll allow this to happen. If you will remove this addiction from me, then I'll serve you. I'll go whatever, wherever you want me to go, I'll say whatever you want me to say. Or maybe it sounds like this. If you'll just let me get that job, if you'll just let me get a raise, if you'll just provide for my family, then I'll do what it is you want me to do. Maybe it's maybe you're dealing with some type of health situation. And maybe it's if, if you'll just heal me, I'll do what you want me to do. And usually what happens in those situations, we miss out on a blessing. Peter was about to get a huge blessing by Jesus washing his feet, but he didn't understand it because he was trying to figure out the details. How many times do we miss blessings in our lives? How many times are we disobedient to what Jesus is asking us to do because we are trying to figure out details instead of doing what he tells us to do? Verse 11, Jesus knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. Remember, Jesus knows the situation. And I feel like Jesus is saying the exact same thing to us this morning. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. Jesus is saying, not all of you 
not all of you are clean. Not all of you are clean. There are so many things that can make us dirty. But when we're dirty, in the eyes of the Lord, we're filthy. And I wonder, do you know this morning what it is that can make you clean? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I wonder this morning, does that blood cover you? Now we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at the crucifixion and the events that that circle around that. But before we look at the verses that talk about the crucifixion, I want us to look at John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus is saying here, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember, Jesus has set the example. He has set the bar really high. He washed the disciples' feet. He displayed such humility and compassion. And He expects us to love and love really well too. And I wonder, as the world's looking at us during this time that we're in right now, what are they seeing? Are they seeing people who love each other? inside the church, and also outside the church. Do you realize this morning that you can love somebody that you disagree with? Do you know that? So often we think, unless we completely agree on everything, we can't be friends. But folks, I'm going to tell you, that is simply false. That is simply false. I can love you even if I disagree with you about something. Now, don't take me wrong. I am never saying that we should compromise anything about the gospel. But we've got to love people just like Jesus did. And I want to take that just a step farther. So many times people just want to talk about the love of Jesus. And they want it to stop right there. And I want you to hear me this morning. Yes, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves sinners. And thank God for that. If he hadn't loved sinners, he would have never saved me. But don't miss out on the fact that when somebody has an encounter with Jesus, their lives are changed. They are transformed. Jesus issues that command, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. We've got to know what love is and what it looks like. So we're going to be talking now about the events that surround the crucifixion. First of all is the arrest. And there is so much scripture with this, I cannot put it all up on the screen. So we're just, in most of these cases, we're going to be just putting one or two, maybe three verses up on the screen. But when we're talking about the arrest, I'm going to look at John 18, beginning in verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. 
I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was all, all also standing there with him. Now, just to set this in context, at this point, Judas has already betrayed Jesus. The authorities come to arrest Jesus. And I wonder this morning, if somebody were knocking on your door right now, and you knew that as a result of you opening that door and correctly identifying yourself, that your life was soon going to end. Would you answer the door? Would you try to escape? Keep in mind, that love and compassion that we saw from Jesus as He washed the feet of those disciples, it continues throughout the end of His ministry. It continued throughout the time that He was even on the cross. Jesus went out. He addressed them and said, Who are you seeking? They told Him, Jesus of Nazareth. It would have been easy for him to have said, I've never heard of that man before. But don't miss the point. Jesus couldn't have done that. He's the man that was was without sin. That would have been a lie, which is sin. He told the truth. I am he. I believe he boldly said it. I am he. And then we see Judas that is standing right there. With him, knowing he's betrayed him, wonder how he felt. I wonder how Judas felt at that moment. How do we feel when we betray Jesus? And maybe you're thinking this morning, I've never betrayed Jesus. Most likely you have. Unless you have always been 100% immediately obedient to do everything that Jesus has told you to do. Yes, you've betrayed Jesus. How do you feel in those moments? I think a lot of times we can really identify with Judas. We just don't want to. We just don't want to. Now we're going to move into the trials. You know, so often when I have read the accounts of the crucifixion, I've been guilty of not really focusing on the trials. Can you imagine being on trial knowing that you are innocent? Knowing that you are innocent. Now imagine not just doing that one time. Do you know how many trials that Jesus endured during this process? Six. Six trials. I'm going to just quickly tell you about those right now. Three of the trials were were classified as religious trials. The first three we're going to talk about are all religious trials. The first one you can find in John 18, verses 12 through 24. The judge of that particular trial was Annas. And the decision was guilty. Guilty. Can you imagine? Issuing a verdict like that against Jesus Christ. Second trial was also a religious trial. You can find that in Matthew 26, verses 57 through 68. The judge in that particular trial was Caiaphas. The decision, the death sentence with the charge of blasphemy. Can you imagine that is the charge against Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
The third trial is also a religious trial. It's found in Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2. This time Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin. The decision on this is also the death sentence. It's made legal in this particular trial. And then, outside of those three religious trials, he experiences three civil trials as well. Trial number four is found in John 18, verses 26 through 38. The judge's pilot. The decision, not guilty. Not guilty. Trial number five is found in Luke 23, verses 6 through 12. The judge was Herod. Again, the verdict, the decision is not guilty. So if you're keeping track right now, out of these five trials he's endured so far, he's got three guilty, two not guilty. Look at trial number six. Also a civil trial. Found in John 18, verse 39 through John 19, verse 6. The judge once again is Pilate. The decision again is not guilty. But this time, due to the demands from the crowd, he turned Jesus over to the Jews. John 19, 6. When the chief priest and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. Pilate is telling these people, I find no fault in this man named Jesus. But we see Pilate do what we often do. He listened to the noise of the crowd. He listened to to the noise of the crowd. And he handed Jesus over to be crucified. And when we look at the actual crucifixion, the passage that I'm going to use is John 19, 16, the B part of that verse, through verse 37. Verse 16 is what I want to read to you, 16 and 17. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus had been tortured. He was made to carry his own cross. And he was crucified between two criminals. Two criminals. Now after Jesus was crucified, they took his clothes. They took his clothes. He hung on the cross naked in front of his mother, in front of others Yet he did that. Even hanging on the cross, he continued to display that attitude of washing the feet of others. He knew whose that he was. He knew whose he was. He continued to show love while he was hanging on the cross. There are seven cries that are recorded recorded in Scripture 
that Jesus issues from the cross. And I want to take us quickly through those. The first cry is recorded in Luke 23, 34, where he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now imagine enduring what Jesus had at that point, hanging on the cross, and he still says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wouldn't it have been so easy to say, Father, condemn them. They know exactly what they're doing. I've told them. But he continues to display that attitude of washing feet. The second cry from the cross is in Luke 23, 43, where he tells one of the criminals that are hanging there on the other cross with him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now I think it's interesting when we look at this particular verse, Jesus does not say, if I can get off this cross and baptize you, you can be with me in paradise today. He doesn't say, you've got to trust me and do all these good things before you can be with me in paradise. You see, all he's needed is a relationship with Jesus. It's Jesus, only Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. Jesus, only Jesus. The third cry that Jesus cries from the cross is in John 19, verses 26 and 27, where he says, Woman, behold your son. The fourth cry, Matthew 27, 46 and 47, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cry number five is in John 19, 28. And Jesus says, I thirst. And you might be wondering, why is this significant? And I'll tell you why it's significant. So many times people want to look at Jesus as if he's some type of superhero. Jesus wasn't a superhero. Now, Jesus was definitely completely divine. But he was also completely man. He felt every lash of that whip. He felt the spikes drive through his hands, hands and his feet. I read one account of the crucifixion several years ago now. And it said, by the time they got to the actual point of nailing Jesus to the cross, he was likely the most unhuman person that any earthly eyes had ever seen. He had endured trauma to his body. He was experiencing dehydration. He was thirsty. And that was one of the cries from the cross. I thirst. Cry number six, it's finished. That's recorded in John 19.30. And then finally, cry number seven, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that is found in Luke 23.46. And then he's buried. And you can find the account of the burial in John 19, 38 through 42. Verse 40 says, Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. So, you know, you might be tempted to think, so the story's over. The story ends right there. Well, the good news is, no, it doesn't. 
The story is not over. Brother Blake will tell you the rest of the story next week. However, I want you to remember what we've witnessed today. Jesus sets the ultimate example of love. Just as that song stated that I sang at the very beginning, when he could have scolded, he whispered peace. In our daily lives, when we have an opportunity to scold, do we take it? In our daily lives, when we have an opportunity to reprimand, do we take it? Or do we follow the example of Jesus and whisper peace into the situation? Are we willing to wash the feet of our enemies? Folks, the truth of the matter is we have not experienced anything even remotely close to what Jesus endured for us. Yet he whispered peace. He loved, do we? Always remember that the world is watching us to see how we respond in times of adversity. How do we respond in times of crisis? People are watching us right now, right in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. What are they seeing? Are they seeing people who love each other? Or are they seeing something else? As Brother Blake preached last Sunday, if the government has asked us to go one mile, unless it contradicts the Word of God, let's go two miles. Let's go the two miles. Let's show the people who are watching what it looks like to truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are called to be different from the world. Remember, Jesus tells us, By this, by loving well, by loving very, very well, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now the invitation is simple today. Right at this very moment, there are some of you that you know you are not clean. You you know you are not clean. Maybe there's something in your life that's causing you not to be clean and you know what it is. What is it? What is it? Is it unforgiveness? Is it greed? Is it pride? Is it hate? Maybe it's some type of addiction. Maybe it's some type of immoral activity. But I want to tell you, whatever it is, You can drop to your knees right now and lay that at the feet of Jesus. And He will, if you ask Him to, His blood will cover you and you will be clean no matter how dirty that you might feel right now. Some of you, you need to make the commitment right now that from this day forward, you are going to love like Jesus loves. You need to make the commitment that, just like that old song says, can others see Jesus in you? And I sure hope so. It's a shame for people to have to ask other people, are you a Christian? I pray that others will see Jesus in us. Some of you need to make the commitment that you're going to take every opportunity to share Jesus with others. Maybe some of you have never, ever shared your faith. Now is the time to do so. Now is the time to do so. We've got to take every opportunity 
that we can possibly take to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And then there's another group of people right now that are watching. And you know for certain that if your life were to end right now, that your eternity would be in hell, not heaven. What if Jesus is knocking on your door, heart's door right now? He wants you to open that door and let him in. Folks, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior is not difficult. Now, the process of following him after that is much more difficult than asking him to be your Lord and Savior in the first place. But if you know that you need Jesus in your life, today's the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. And it's as simple as we teach children in Bible school. The ABCs of Christianity, the ABCs of salvation. You have got to be willing that you're a sinner, that there is sin in your life. You have got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He lived a perfect life on this earth, and that He loved you so much, just like we've been preaching in the sermon today. He loved you so much that He went to that cross on Calvary and gave His life for you. And then you've got to believe that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day. Brother Blake will be covering that next week. And then you have got to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. You've got to confess your sins. And that involves a turning from your life of sin, not staying in it. But you can do that today. Don't put off your salvation. Your eternity is at stake. And I wonder, will we love as Jesus has loved? Will we wash the feet? Of people, there are some of you right now that maybe you you know that you've got an ill relationship with somebody. Maybe you need to wash their feet. Maybe you need to wash their feet, and maybe you need to make the commitment right now that you're going to do that. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your example that you've given us. Father, it's it's hard at times for our minds to still comprehend that you knowing your betrayer, you knowing what was going to happen, that you still washed his feet. Father, I I thank you for the, the degree of love that you showed by that. I thank you for that degree of love that you continued to show until the point that you said it is finished and your earthly body died and was buried. Father, we give you praise for loving us so much that you died for us. Father, I pray right now for people who need to make decisions. Father, I pray that your convicting power will be so strong on their hearts, on their lives right now, that they will not be able to put that decision off. Father, I pray that you will move in mighty ways. Lord, I pray that you will do great and mighty things. I pray that you will save and set people free. And Father, I pray also that people will make the commitment that they're going to love as you love. Lord, I pray that the world will be able to tell that we're different because they see us being your hands and feet. Father, I pray that you will take this message and simply use it for your good and for your glory. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.
This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.